Um, we are going to continue through our celebration of Advent this week. It's the second Sunday of Advent. And so uh, if you look at the um, st- story of God and people, that's the one. Thanks, thanks, Kevin. Um, the story of God and people can be broken up, uh, as Rick talked about last week, as creation, corruption, redemption, and new creation. And so I'll, I'll test you on what Rick quizzed you on last week. Uh, in the Bible, when we talk about creation, uh, where in the Bible are, are, is the story of creation covered? Genesis? Yeah, yeah m- m- mostly one and two. Uh, corruption? Yeah, it's, it, so it starts in Genesis 3, and then the issue of corruption kind of goes on all the way to the end of the Bible in parallel with the story of redemption. And... Uh, the story of redemption is the gospel message that, that we celebrate, um, and it has come through the light that we celebrate this Advent season in the form of Jesus, and then the new creation, that is, eventually and ultimately, uh, all of that will be fulfilled in a new creation. Where is that in the Bible? Yeah, the last two chapters of the book. Uh, so the, the bulk of the Bible actually hangs out in the middle where you have this a uh, story of the corruption and the brokenness and the sin uh, that plagues humanity, but also God's story of redemption and hope for humanity. And so uh, last week, uh, Rick was able to cover with you the first couple chapters of Genesis, talking about creation and just really hanging out in that moment and appreciating what it was like, perhaps, for Adam and Eve to... Uh, dwell in the Garden of Eden and have that communion with God and just the purity and the beauty of that time. Um, this week, I get to talk to us about corruption and darkness. So, so if you have those Sundays where you come to church and you just feel so refreshed and renewed and revived to go out for the week, this is perhaps not that Sunday. Uh, I'm, I am bad cop to Rick's good cop this week. Uh, so, so we will be studying through uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, and I'll tell you honestly, um, my tendency is to want to speed through this, but we're going to intentionally this morning linger and really feel the power and the weight um, and even the hurt of the corruption that entered the world through sin that plagues our hearts, our relationships, our world, uh, and it really serves as a dark backdrop that all the more causes the light that we will be celebrating the next couple of Sundays to shine um, and resonate in our hearts this season. So bear with me this Sunday. Um, Frankly, it's been an interesting message to prepare for. Um, I was thinking about a time when I was back in college, and it was Halloween, and so a bunch of us thought we were, were tough, and we would go to a haunted house in Salem. And it wasn't one of those kind of baby haunted houses. It was one of those really elaborate, dark, people jumping out of corners, um, really scary haunted houses. And some of my friends were actually too scared to even go in. And uh, for the record, I was not. I I, I went into the haunted house. Um, But on the flip side of that, once you got through it, some people came out crying. Uh, Some of the girls who were with us in particular came out crying. Uh, Maybe one or two of the, the guys came out crying. Um, but I just remember the, the feelings and the emotions that I had in the midst of that um, because there, there was this palpable weight 
and there was fear, and there were just these emotions that they were trying to uh, invoke in you through this dark atmosphere and setting and everything that was going on. And all I could think about is getting through that darkness as fast as possible. Um, That is my tendency to want to do that this morning, and yet uh, I believe that the Lord would have us not do that uh, and actually hang out and um, allow our hearts to be um, empathetic to and even even weighted um, by both the um, sin and corruption that plagues people and hurts people and separates them from God, um, but all the more that we would have a compassion and God's love for those people as the outcome this morning. So um, rather than go through the whole story of Genesis chapter 3, most of you are familiar with it. It is the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, It is the serpent who tempts Eve to take of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, ultimately, she she takes of that fruit, and so does Adam. And in so doing, they usher in brokenness and sin, darkness and death into the world, um, not just around them, but inside of them. And so we will hit some highlights and particularly contrast some of those aspects of the brokenness of Genesis chapter 3, with the beauty and the purity of Genesis chapter 2. So, uh, before we do that, we have a slide uh, that says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And this is a profound statement. Um, but it showed up last week, actually, when we were talking about creation, where when you look at Genesis chapter 1, Everything was dark, and it says in Genesis chapter 1 that this world was without form and void, and it was full of darkness. And do we have that slide, Kevin? Yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so into a world that was without light, God created light. And apart from him, there would have been no light. And so God, who is light and in whom there is no darkness, in creation took a dark world, and he said, let there be light. There was light, and he saw that it was good. Today in Genesis chapter 3, if we could get the next slide, we see the woman being tempted by the serpent on the bottom verse there, Genesis 3, 4 through 6. And the serpent told the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And you contrast that with Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the serpent is directly contradicting what the Lord told Adam in Genesis chapter 2. And so we've talked about as a church body, uh, one of the ways that's helpful to interpret Scripture is to think of, What does this passage say about who God is, what he has done, therefore who we are, and what we ought to do? 
And so if you look at Genesis chapter 2, who does that say God is? What, what are some uh, things that you might describe God as in looking at that verse or that passage? He's a guide, okay. How so, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, so God, God is giving them boundaries of, of what they can and can't do. And is he doing that uh, just to be a killjoy? Or, or what is the reason that God is? Uh, he, he's, he's the authority, okay. And is there an element of protection also in this verse? Yeah, he says don't eat of it. Because if you do, you'll, you'll surely die. And so uh, as we look at that, we might look at God as an authority, the creator. Uh, we look at him as actually caring for humanity, a guide to humanity. And because we look at him in that way, um, what has he done? He has clarified. He's set the boundaries. He's trying to protect humanity by saying this will not be good for you when you eat of the tree. And so this tells humanity that we have this loving creator God who wants to protect us and care for us, and therefore he gives us clear boundaries of what to do and what not to do in the event that it hurts us, and therefore we ought to trust him. Contrast that with Genesis chapter 3. So uh, the serpent says God's lying to you, and the woman begins to question God's goodness. Um, what are some things that you might say about God that she believes incorrectly from Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 4 through 6? Yeah, that, that he actually is not protecting them and doesn't have their best interests at heart, but is trying to keep them from becoming like him, right? And so you see this very different picture then of who God is, and that has different implications in terms of what he's done. He's actually withheld from man and woman. And therefore, Eve, in her response, uh, says, well, then I am not a created, loved, trusted, protected daughter of God, and therefore I'm not going to believe him, and I am going to instead take a look at the fruit from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she's going to eat. And so um, we see this, this contrast, and the issue at hand is an issue of trust. It is a wrong view of God that plays itself out in her actually taking of the fruit and doing the opposite of what God had lovingly asked her to do and, and directed her to do. And Adam eats also. Next slide. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Then the eyes of both were opened once they ate of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Contrast that with where we uh, hung out last week as a church family, where it says in Genesis chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So last week you talked about just the, the beauty and the purity and the simplicity of being able to be vulnerable and open and naked before God and before one another. And with this decision to not trust God and to eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, we see that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. We read in, in a following verse that then they go 
and hide when they hear God walking in the garden. And so immediately the self-focus and the shame is a result of not trusting God and having that wrong perspective of who he is, which led to the eating of the fruit that they weren't to eat, which then as a result leads to the self-focus and shame. Next slide. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. So this verse takes place after uh, they had eaten of the tree, after they had hidden from God. Uh, they confess to the Lord that they have eaten of, from the fruit of the tree, but they kind of blame the serpent and the woman and the man. Uh, and then after they do that and the Lord um, curses the serpent and the woman and the man as a result of that behavior, he says, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And you contrast that with Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So you have God putting man into the garden to work and keep it, to enjoy that, that beauty and that purity and that simplicity, that union with God and with, with woman. And then you see this contrast of the results that happened because they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And therefore, they're being cast out of the garden. And again, God's reason for doing that is I don't want them to eat of the fruit from the tree of life because I don't want them to stay in this broken spot forever. And so even in this, you see the Lord's mercy and his kindness and his grace where he says we've got to get them out of the garden because we can't have them stay in the spot of brokenness and darkness within and corruption forever. As we mentioned at the beginning, the story of the brokenness and darkness within people and corruption goes on for uh, really the rest of Scripture. And in particular, in the Old Testament, you see people dealing with this darkness and this brokenness in a number of different ways. You see people who actually seem to be embracing that darkness and just running after idols and destroying themselves and others as a result of that. Uh, and then you have people like the children of Israel who had laws and commandments that they tried to keep in order to try to get back to that place of union with God but they were doing it through their own actions, their own behaviors, their own religion, um, only to find that they couldn't. And the reason why they couldn't, and the conclusion of the law in the Old Testament, is that um, no matter how hard you try to change the outside, if you are fundamentally dark and broken on the inside, eventually that's going to come out, right? And so uh, if you have darkness on the inside, that's going to be manifest outwardly. Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I was thinking about uh, different types of, of sickness. In the Bible, you have this picture of leprosy. And some would directly tie the picture of leprosy to this idea of sinfulness. Um, I would say at least, at the very minimum, it's helpful to understand the impacts of leprosy in that 
it was a disease that uh, actually um, was was destructive inwardly, and then eventually would start to to become evident outwardly in, in white spots and uh, a loss of, of kind of your your sensory um, your nerve endings and eventually you would actually have body parts that would start to either get damaged severely um, because you couldn't feel them or they would start to fall off and it would become very grotesque. In fact, so much so that in the the law, in the book of Leviticus, there are rules for how people were to diagnose through the high priest whether someone had leprosy or not. And this sickness that would be going on on the inside would become gradually evident all over your body. And so they would try to diagnose this early because they viewed it at that time as something that you would have because you did something wrong. Because you had done something, uh, this was in their minds God's way of punishing you. And so it would remove you from the opportunity to worship in community with with the people in the temple or the tabernacle. It would... um, be something where you would have to physically move outside of the camp. So the children of Israel were encamped together, and you would have to actually go outside of the camp, and you would be segregated from them as a result of this. And you would have to leave your family and your friends. And so you would be completely isolated and live by yourself, so much so that when you walk down the street, in order to alarm people so that they know that you have this disease, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that they would stay away from you. And you think of this brokenness, and you think of all of the ripple effects of that brokenness, of that disease, and then you look at a verse like Jeremiah 17.9 that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The the Bible is, is, is really clear that as a result of the fall of Genesis chapter 3, the result of that corruption and sin, of eating of that fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, humanity, we are born with sick hearts, with dark hearts. And the results of that are broken lives, broken actions, destructiveness in our own lives and others, um, separation from God and from others. So that was the other result of eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil is Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden away from where they enjoyed communion with God. And in the Old Testament, there was a a temple or tabernacle in in the part of that, the Holy of Holies was where the presence and the glory of God was. And the long and short of that, that worship scenario was that people could not access God. They could not come into the presence or experience the glory of God as a result of that. So um, that's the theology behind this this concept of darkness in the Bible. Um, The reality is the darkness of sin and shame and fear and brokenness and darkness in people's hearts is that it is destructive. And it separates us from our communion with God that we were made to enjoy. 
and it tears apart souls and lives and marriages and families and communities. And uh, you don't have to look far <laughs> to recognize the darkness, do you? you? You can just know it and be aware of it in your own life. Uh, <laughs> before we all put on our, our, our best behavior and, and uh, appearance for church, you, you see it at home in our relationships at times. You, uh, you look around your neighborhood or, or your workplace you certainly look at the news and you just see just gross wickedness that plagues humanity and that is tearing us apart. And I, I would think that the Lord would want us to actually feel the palpable pain and hurt and brokenness of sin this morning because all the more it creates in me and hopefully in us the recognition that we need God who is light and in whom there is no darkness to shine into dark hearts and into a dark world. And that is what we prepare for. That is what we celebrate this season. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next two Sundays. <laughs> uh, but this Sunday, um, I think it's important that, that we, just, we just stop and, and we take a look and we recognize uh, the darkness that is around us for what it is, which is a result of sin and brokenness and corruption in the hearts of humanity for which there is only one solution, uh, and that is God who is light to come down. And so we will celebrate that. Um, and actually, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, while there is darkness, there is also hope. And so, um, as God is responding to uh, what Adam and Eve have done as a response to uh, the serpent deceiving them, the Lord God says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is referred to as some as the first mention of the gospel message in the Bible. And it is that the seed of woman, that is uh, eventually and ultimately the one who is light personified come down to earth, would bruise the head of the serpent. He would break this curse that plagues humanity by his heel stomping on the head of the serpent, which is which is Satan, and the Satan bruising his heel. And what happens when a man steps on the head of a serpent and crushes it? The serpent dies. And what happens when a serpent who is venomous bruises the heel of the man? He also dies. And, and this forecasts for us, even in Genesis 3, right in the midst of the darkest hour of humanity, right in the midst of humanity stepping into corruption, God provides hope because he would send himself, he would become light here on earth, and he would crush the head of the serpent. He would give us hope where there otherwise was no hope. And just like creation, where he created 
light where there was no light. He has done so for us. You know, we can, we can look to other solutions in our darkness. We can, we can try to hide from it. We can try to cover it up. We can try to ignore it. Um, but ultimately, we cannot overcome it. And uh, what we will be celebrating the next couple of weeks is that uh, while we don't have the solution to overcome darkness, God is that solution. And he became that solution here on earth. And so, um, looking forward to celebrating that with you. That said, um, some of you might be in a season of darkness. And if that's you, um, I believe the Lord wants you to know how much you are loved this morning by him, but also by us. And uh, if, if you need to be prayed, prayed for, cared for, uh, we would love to do that. That's what we are here for as the body of Christ. And um, so feel free after the gathering to come find any, any one of us, Rick or me or uh, any one of us or even the person you're sitting next to, even better, uh, to, to pray for you, to, to just love on you. And then secondly, um, <laughs> we live in a world of people who are hurting and people who are living in darkness and don't know that there is even hope, that don't know that there is light. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray and, um, and we'll, we'll sing some songs of worship. But instead of having communion like we usually do at this time, uh, what we will do instead is we have these candles, which are not real candles because we meet in a movie theater and can't, can't use real fire. Uh, but they have these switches on the bottom that turn them on, so they flicker a little bit and they look like real candles. Um, but instead of communion, what we, what we thought we would do as we wrap up the gathering this morning is, would you just be thinking about, praying about, contemplating a person or more than one person in your life that is currently in darkness, and use this time to bring them before the Lord and lift them up to him. And I think as a result of that, what you'll find is that God is, is going to place upon your heart or has already placed upon your heart his love for that person or those people so that we can have his compassion in the midst of the season so that we can, in turn, go out and offer this message of hope throughout this Christmas season. Amen? Amen. God, you are light, and in you is no darkness at all. And so we invite you afresh into this community, into this church family. God, we want you to live inside our hearts, to shine inside of our hearts. Your word says that you who cause light to shine forth from darkness have also caused your light to shine within our hearts through Christ. And so I pray for this, this group, this family, Lord, that we would um, walk in light of who you are in truth. And I pray, too, that you would just impress upon us your love for people who are hurting. I pray that their brokenness would break our hearts. But also, Lord, that we would have hope that we would have joy, that we would have peace, all of those things we sing about and celebrate in the season, that we would 
be able to be ambassadors of those things to people who need it and who cannot access it apart from you. So we take this next few minutes and we lift them up to you, but we also worship you because you are the light of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.